0: Well, I'm going to start off right out of the gate tonight with two quotes. Don't often do that, but uh, I think maybe they set the stage for the text. So let me share those with you. The first one is from Charles Spurgeon. Most of you know him. He was a renowned English preacher in London in the 19th century. And he says this, I would recommend you... Now he's talking to Christians, professing Christians. He says, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe Him at all. Believe this book of God. He's talking about the Bible. Every letter of it or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps with God. God. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than dry land faith, which is no good at all. The second quote is from C.S. Lewis. Um, you guys will, most of you guys will recognize his name, 20th century Christian apologist. And in his book, The Weight of Glory, he writes this. Now, he's using the sea as a metaphor or an analogy for God, okay? Just so you understand. This is the endless recurrent temptation of mankind. To go to the sea, again, an analogy for God, and there neither dive nor swim nor float, but only dabble and splash, careful not to get out of one's depth, holding on the lifeline which connects him with... Temporal things. Between both heaven and hell, it would seem to be pretty clear that paddling is of little consequence. What matters, what heaven desires and hell fears, is precisely that further step out of our depth, out of our control. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. And I talk to a lot of professing Christians, and sometimes I'll ask, just flat out ask them the question Do you trust God? No matter what comes in your life, do you trust God? Whatever comes, do you trust God? Can you put yourself in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2? Can you put yourself in that book? And can you see yourself doing what Job did? What did Job do when the calamity came? Numerous calamities. What did Job do? Someone tell me. What did Job do? He worshipped God. Do you know God? And do you trust God? Like that. I love these quotes. This paddling and dabbling and splashing in the shallows. You know, this could be maybe... Uh, compared to being a church member, you know? A church member kind of splashes around, but he does not go deep with God. He does not, at the end of the day, trust God. He doesn't believe God is able to do what God says He can do. Therefore, I live like the rest of the world. I'm not going to live like a disciple because I don't, at the end of the day, believe He's faithful and believe He's able. Spurgeon says, Don't be satisfied with anything less than a faith that swims in the deeps. So, it's an opportunity for you and for me to examine ourselves. Do we trust God? Do we love God? Do we believe He's a promise keeper? Do we believe He's faithful? Can I get out of my depth with God? Will He be there? Is he good for his word? Lewis says this is really the heart of the matter. You know, getting out in the deeps with God where you can't control anything, right? You know, we have this illusion of control in in, uh, the modern world. We're not in control of anything. (laughs) At the end of the day, God controls our next heartbeat. So Lewis says, what heaven desires and hell fears is the Christian who will take that next step with God. And so I'll just stop and ask you, if you're serious with Christ, you know the next step. You know what He's been talking to you about. You know what the next step is. And so the challenge for you and me tonight, will will we take that step? You know, God is always going to push you further, right? What is it that pleases God? If you've been in the church very long, you know this. What is it that pleases God? Hebrews 11.6 What is it? Faith. So what is God going to do with you? He's going to push you into faith at every turn. You say, Jim, well, there's not, not a whole lot of faith in my life. I really can get up in the morning and kind of do it all by myself. Well, then I say, you may need to go have a long conversation with God because His goal is to push you into faith. For His glory and, oh guess what? Who knows? Your joy. (laughs) You know, a lot of folks are scared of God. I'm scared to get out in the deep water where I can't touch the bottom. Where I'm not in control. To let go of my lifelines, as Lewis talks about. I'm saying you're cheating yourself. God means for you to live your faith huge. God means, to find your deepest, God means for you to find your deepest joy in your obedience. I like what Lewis says here. He says, you know, heaven and hell says the same thing about this, right? The tempter tells us, take care. This could be costly. But he says, you know, the Lord Jesus says the same thing. It could be costly. In what sense? In a temporal sense. There is no ultimate cost. In going with Christ, there is no ultimate cost because he makes up for any supposed loss. He is infinitely valuable. And his inheritance is infinitely valuable. We well, what does Paul say in Philippians 1:21? I mean, it's one of my favorite verses. I mention it all the time. What does he say? To live is Christ, to die is gain. We death is gain for us, right? You and I need to be fearless in the world. We need to be bold. Our God is God. Every day, our God is God. I was looking at the verse uh, this week. Daniel 11.32 The people who know their God shall what? Someone tell me. They shall do... I love that you love that verse, the King James translation. I love that verse. It's on the first page of my book. I have to know it because my name's Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And you can't do that if you don't trust him. You can't do that if you don't know him. You won't do that if you don't love him. So we see Peter's great love for the Lord in the text tonight. It's been a lot of fun for Peter and the guys. They've been walking with Jesus for a couple of years, and they've seen amazing things. But it's about to get really, really hard. This happens in every Christian's life. Every Christian, what is how does Paul say it to? Is it to Timothy? Every Christian will be persecuted. If you desire to live righteously in Christ Jesus, it's not if you'll be persecuted, it is that you will be persecuted. And so the heat's about to come for Peter and the boys. And I was thinking about 2 Corinthians 4.17 where Paul says, who suffered beyond measure. These momentary... Paul, who suffered, he said, these are momentary light afflictions. Momentary light afflictions. And they are producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Beloved, do you trust him? Will you get on the deep water with him? Will you make Jesus famous, whatever it costs? in your sphere of life. So, I was thinking this week, how does a person actually get out into the deep water? How does a person let go and say, whatever you have for me, God, I will go with you. What is the core issue? Faith? Trust? Love? I think it's love. I think... Yes, the the faith and and trust, belief, obedience, these things are, are hugely important, but I think for the Christian, the core issue, the preeminent drive is I love this God who has loved me infinitely and eternally and everlastingly. This God who has bled out for me. I think the core issue is love. It's the sacred romance that we often talk about. This is what I hear in the text in Peter's words. Peter doesn't want to be without Jesus. Well, who would want to? Who in their right mind would want to be without Christ, right? Who in their right mind? Especially after the three years they have had walking with him. It's just been one huge rush after another, right? To watch, you know, what he does, what he says, how he handles himself, how he loves them. We talked about it last week. Obviously, he had loved Judas exactly the way he had loved the other 11. None of the 11 knew that Judas was the traitor because Jesus had treated him just the same. Peter loves Jesus. He says, why can't I go with you? (laughs) He doesn't want to let Jesus out of his sight. Last week we saw two hallmarks of true Christianity in our text last week. One is that we delight in the glory of God, and we as Christians seek to live for the glory of God. So I'll stop and ask you, is that real in your life? I know it's good theology. I know it sounds good in the church. But, you know, what's really important is, are you living it in the world? Are you bringing glory to God where you work? Are you bringing glory to God in your marriage? Are you bringing glory to God in front of your children? Are you bringing glory to God with your sexuality? Are you bringing glory to God with your, you know, internet surfing? If you call yourself a Christian, this is what God Has called us to. The second thing we saw last week is as Jesus commanded that the true believer will love the brethren, we will love the brethren. Not perfectly, but we understand what the command is. We love the church. The church is not, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? It's non negotiable for the believer. I am in the church and I love the church. It's the body of Christ. So, we saw those two truths. And tonight, we see this principle, this premier hallmark of true conversion. Peter loves Jesus. I'm not asking you, have you made a profession of faith? Have you been baptized? Is your name on a church roll? Do you go to church when it's not too inconvenient? I'm asking you, do you love Jesus Christ? Because at the end of the day, (laughs) what did he say? The greatest commandment is that you what? Go to church when it's not too inconvenient. No. He said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what God desires. And if you do love God, Hebrews 11.6 will be real in your life. There will be faith in your life. Daniel 11.32 will be real in your life if you love Jesus Christ. <laughs> Peter says, where are you going that I can't come? I think he, he's stunned. He, he, doesn't, he won't have it, Right? It's like Peter says, I won't have this. Lord, where are you going? I hear a little bit of desperation in Peter's question. And you heard the text read. I won't reread it. Jesus says, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. So there's a twofold meaning here. Peter will follow Jesus to the cross. Peter will be crucified. And of course, Peter will... Go and be with Jesus in the hereafter, right? Jesus is going to start talking about that next week in in chapter 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus says, you will follow Me later. Then Jesus tells Peter, what Peter doesn't know about Peter. (laughs) You know, this is how you learn about yourself. This is how you learn the truth about yourself. You're in the Word of God. And you're in a church that actually preaches the Word of God. And the Word of God is like a mirror. And when you look into the Word of God, you see who you really are. Right? Now Peter thinks, you know, he can do this thing. He can can walk with Christ in his own strength, more or less, is what Peter's problem is. But God is going to have to refit Peter because Peter can't walk where God is going to call him to walk until Peter learns he can't do it in his own strength. Jesus says, "...Truly, truly, a cock shall not crow until you deny Me three times." Peter loves Christ, but he doesn't have what it takes to go with Christ when it gets hard. You know, you see this all the time in the modern church. People love Jesus as long as, you know, it's good for business, right? As long as there's health, wealth, and prosperity. I love Jesus as long as He guarantees me health, wealth, and prosperity. You know, this heretical gospel that's sweeping the the planet. People love that Jesus But if we actually read our Bibles, we realize (laughs) it will be hard to go with Christ ultimately. It will be hard at times. It will be hard. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. I'm 60, almost 63 years old. I've been a Christian for 30-something, five years. And it's hard sometimes. People don't like it if you talk to them about the biblical Jesus. Now, if you talk about the cartoon Jesus... Everybody loves the cartoon Jesus. But if you talk to them about the biblical one, people don't like it. People in your family won't like it. They don't like it. Your coworker won't like it. Your boss may not like it. You may be gone. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Peter thinks he can walk in, with God in his own strength. Oh, guess what? He can't. Neither can you. All right? Neither can you. You've got to have God. And, you know, you, you, you need to, 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 to structure your life in such a way where you can't leave the house without praying. Because, you know, if you can just do it all by yourself, you're just like the rest of the world, right? I need God. I can't be who I need to be in the world without God. You know, as C.S. Lewis says, we tend to lark about when we lose our fear of God. So God's hands are on the clay. Peter is the clay. God is the potter. And the potter's about to press down really hard. You, you you've seen these guys with on the table, right? And they got the clay on the table and and they just put one thumb into it and the thing just radically changes, right? Have you seen this? That's about what that's about what it's gonna be in Peter's life. So, I want to turn over, if you would, with me to Luke chapter 22 to get a little more background here. He gives us a little more background in Luke 22, verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. Same setting, okay? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and... You, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go to both prison and to death. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied me three times. So there's a lot of theology here. But I want to isolate a couple of things that we need to understand It's not a coincidence that the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to write 1 Peter 5 8. About 30 years later, Peter will write, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter knows about this. He's had firsthand experience, right? Satan has come after him. He knows about it. We have an adversary. We know we have an adversary. He's real and he's powerful. But he's a dog on a leash. We need to understand that. He's a dog on a leash. Some people, I, I, in my experience, uh, they, 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 they give too much really thought and concern to Satan. I, I give as much, uh, I talk about Satan as much as the Bible does, which is not very much. Okay? He's real. He's powerful. But greater is he who is what? In Amen. He's a dog on a leash. So, let's make sure we understand that. So, Satan hates Jesus Christ, and he hates anyone who follows Jesus Christ. It's in the book of Job. What is Satan doing before God? He's accusing the brethren, he's accusing Job. In first Peter chapter one, verses six and seven, Peter writes this the believer greatly rejoices even though now for a little while if it's necessary, you've been distressed by various trials that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what Peter says? Peter says, now I understand it was necessary for me to be sifted because... Because now I have no confidence in myself at all to be involved in this, you know, supernatural cosmic war. I must have God. And if you know, if you don't know that yet, then I'm afraid you're a little bit naive about what's going on in the spiritual realm. You must have God. We must have Him. It's necessary. Riles are necessary, right? Because God loves you. And He's going to bring you out of self-confidence into God-confidence, amen? Because if you're in God-confidence, you can do Daniel 11.32. You won't do that in yourself. You'll do it with God. You can't begin to see yourself doing spiritual exploits. It's not on your resume, is it? I hope it's not on your resume (laughs) because you can't do it apart from the power of God. So we profess to be Christians. And if we do, our faith will be tested. It's part and parcel of living in a fallen world. It's part and parcel of having the potter's hands on us. It's part and parcel of God's love for us. I love to tell the young adults all the time, God will not be distracted with your temporal happiness. He's got something bigger in mind. What's what's God going to do with us, right? What's what's the ultimate, what's he doing with the believer? (laughs) It's not, oh, I just want to give you health, wealth, and prosperity. God may give that to you. It's certainly not an entitlement. But what will God do? What will God do? It's bigger than temporal happiness. God means to give Himself to you. Whatever that takes, God means to give Himself to you. Now Peter is going to put down a whole lot of Peter (laughs) in this episode and he's going to pick up a whole lot of God. That's what's going to happen in our text. There's something awesome here. Uh, in the text, Luke twenty-two, thirty-two. 32. Did you notice? What does Jesus say to Peter that He didn't say to Judas? That's right. I have prayed for you. How big is this? Now we know, biblically, <clears throat> that two members of the Trinity are praying for us. Romans chapter 8. We get that. But if I'm in the middle of a trial, God is with me. God's promises are good. And oh, guess what? The Son and the Spirit are praying for me. Does it get any more encouraging than that? I know Satan is saying, hey, you need to to feel sorry for yourself. You need to be depressed. You need to be, you know... Jesus says, I'm praying for you. And He says another thing in this text too. He says, When? When what? When you come back from the test. It's not if, it's when. Why will he come back from the test? Why will he pass the test? God is praying for him. God's hands are on him. He belongs to God. He's one of God's men. Listen, you are free to live your faith huge because you belong to God. You, don't have, you call yourself a Christian, you have no excuse for living some small, you know, uh, life of conformity. If you're living just like the world, I think, I think if we're living just like the world, we've got a huge problem. We live differently. We think differently. We act differently. Because God is God. And His hands are on me and He is going to bring me into conformity with Jesus. Okay, right? (laughs) He's going to bring His adopted children into conformity with Jesus. Does it get any better than that? This is what God is doing. Listen, when you can't make any sense of it, and I've had some nights where I couldn't cry anymore. Okay, I've been there. But here's what I know. As a believer... God's hands are on me, right? And God will bring me through. God will bring me through. And He will do the same for all who love and trust Him. You guys know Romans 8.28. Believe it. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Those who love God, those called according to His purpose. I want to read another quick quote to you. I think it's, uh, <clears throat> it's powerful. From John Piper about Romans 8.28. He's an American preacher. Listen to me. I'm, let me just read it. Listen to me. Piper says, If you live inside this massive promise, the Romans 8.28, your life is more solid and stable than Mount Everest... You simply cannot be blown over anymore. The confidence that a sovereign God governs for your good all the pain and all the pleasure that you will ever experience is incomparable refuge, security, hope, and power in your life. When God's people really live by faith uh, in future grace through, the, through Romans 8.28, they are, and I love this, the freest, strongest, and happiest people in the world. Amen? Amen? <laughs> and I, I know what's going on here with some of you. Some of you say, well, this is, a, this is a good sermon, Jim. That's great. You have absolutely no intention of going out in the world and doing it. I, I'm just hazarding, hazarding a guess that there's more than one or two that have no intention of going out there and doing it. And what I want to say to you, you know, you have to decide as a Christian where, where the gain is and where the loss is, you know. You, you have to decide as a human being, really, is God gain? Is God gain? Or is the world gain? You have to make that decision. Now, if you believe the world is gain, you're not going to live this stuff. This is Sunday stuff. This is academic, right? But if you love Him, you'll go live it. If you love Him, you will go live it. You guys know James chapter 1. Consider it what? All what? Joy! Joy! Why is this not stupid? to consider it joy when various trials come upon you. Why is this not stupid? As Again, I'm quoting John Piper, American preacher. I don't want you to think I'm being sacrilegious sacrilegious in any way. Why is this not stupid? Because God is in it. You know, I'm always astonished that many uh, people who profess to be Christians, they have this false theology. Well, if I'm in bad trouble, if I'm where Job is, then God has turned His back on me. God is right in the middle of what's going on with Job. And God is going to reveal Himself to Job. So the true believer understands there's joy because God is coming. If you're in the trial, God is here. So Satan hates Peter. He wants to sift him like wheat in order to destroy him and his faith. God loves Peter, so He lets Satan sift him like wheat in order that Peter may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James chapter 2, verse 4. So what, again, we saw it last week, I think, or maybe a week before. What Satan means for evil, what men and Satan mean for evil... What? God means for good. You either believe it or you don't, right? You either believe that God can take... Did He not take the most wicked thing that's ever happened in the cosmos, which was what? The day the Son of God was crucified. Did He not take the worst thing that ever happened and turn it into the best thing that could have possibly happened for you and me? Amen? Hallelujah. This is how awesome our God is. He takes that which is evil and He works good out of it. It's an astonishing thing he can do. It's an astonishing thing that he does. Jesus says, Man, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You know, James tells us too that the the earnest prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Well, let me ask you this How much does the prayer of the Son of God accomplish? Everything. <laughs> right? Everything. Yes. And He's praying for you. Stop being afraid in the world. Your God is God. And He does whatever He pleases in heaven and earth. Right? He does whatever He pleases. And He loves you. <laughs> he's omnipotent. There's not one rogue molecule in The universe. So, we have an enemy. But Jesus Christ loves us. During this trial, Peter will fail miserably, just like you have and I have on occasion. But here's what we learn. Jesus will not stop holding him and loving him and praying for him God allows Peter to be sifted by Satan. But God means to bring good from it. Peter's fall is recorded in all four Gospels. God wants you to understand this. There are not many things that are in all four Gospels. Not very many. God wants you to understand this. And He wants me to understand it. Peter's got to learn that Peter's biggest problem is Peter. Right? Have you... Have you learned that yet about yourself? <laughs> Your biggest problem. You know, I'm reading this great book. I highly recommend it. Uh, just, it's entitled Awe, A-W-E, by Paul David Tripp, or is it David Paul Tripp? I'm pretty sure it's Paul David Tripp. He said, every problem you have is vertical. You understand? Every problem you have is vertical. You have no real horizontal problems, Ultimately. Ultimately, every problem you have is vertical. It's because wherever you think your problem is, and if you're letting the problem get the best of you, the trial, if you're letting the adversary get the best of you, his point is you just need to turn and look at God. You just need to be in awe. You You just need to be in awe of God. If you're not in awe of God, you haven't seen God. I mean, it's like night follows day. If you haven't, if there's no awe in your life, then you have not met Jesus Christ. Because if you have met Him, there will be perpetual awe in your life. It will make you bold. It will keep you back from sin. The proper view of awe of our great God. Peter needs to be saved from Peter. He has absolute confidence in himself, but the Lord is going to do him a favor. He's going to break that. Peter trusts in Peter. And Jesus knows Peter needs to stop trusting in Peter because Peter is wrong about Peter. Peter cannot trust Peter. So, the sifting begins. But Peter made the boast, right? He makes it multiple times in the New Testament. He makes the boast. I will die for you. I will die for you. I will die for you. I don't care what the rest of them do. I'll be arrested or die for you. Let's turn again one more time. Matthew 26, verse 69. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69. Now Peter, this is after Jesus has been arrested, and Peter has followed okay, the Lord into the city. Verse 69 of Matthew 26. Peter was outside in the courtyard, and a little girl came to him and said, you're one of those guys. You belong to Jesus. And he denied it. I do not know what you're talking about. Verse 71, and when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl, little girl saw him and said, "Uh, those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 72. And again he says, I deny it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, some bystanders, verse 73, came up to Peter and Surely you are one of them. They they could tell by his accent. Verse 74. And he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. The end of verse 75, and Peter went out and he wept bitterly. So Peter's learned about Peter. (laughs) This is is one of the best gifts God can give you. (laughs) That you learn about yourself. You learn about him. And you learn about who you are. That you don't have any false impressions about exactly what you're capable of. I I remember talking to my spiritual mentor in seminary one time. I love this man. He's a great man. I looked up to this man. And I'll never forget what he said to me. We were talking about a brother who had fallen into sexual sin. And he said something. I I said, And Jim said, he said, he said, I know it could happen to me. If I don't stay on God. And so, my point is to have some, you know, humility about yourself. Because if you don't think it can happen to you, it can happen to you. If you think too highly of yourself, (laughs) I think there's a verse about this. Um, It is foolishness, it is foolishness. So God teaches Peter about Peter. And God is the master artisan. He's pressing down on the clay. He's going to make a masterpiece, right? He's going to make a masterpiece. He's going to make a child of God. C.S. Lewis says in Divine Goodness, God will take endless trouble and doubtless give endless trouble in order to fashion the clay. The beautiful thing about it, once God puts His hands on you, guess what? he never takes them off. That's good news, amen. That's good news. He will complete the good work he's begun. I think that's in Philippians chapter 1. And so, God is when God is pressing down on the clay, right? We tend to doubt God and begin to complain against God, amen. But CS Lewis makes the point, this is when God is loving you the most. He's loving you the best. He's bringing you out of your arrogance and your self-reliance and your self-love and your love of the things of the world. This is when God is loving you the best. When it's the hardest, He's loving you the best. He's breaking you from your adulteries and addictions as one theologian said. When it gets hard, when it gets hard, you know, the unbeliever, all he can do is hurt and cry. What does the believer do? We hope in the Lord. Right? Right? We hope in God and we know our hope will not be frustrated because Romans 8:28 is true. Every day there's a beautiful thing in the Bible you guys who are biblically literate, you know, that the text, pardon me, the Bible tells us Luke 24, 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus came to Peter apparently individually. Those of you who are sinners and you belong to Christ You understand about this, right? You understand how he comes and confronts you with your sin and forgives you. I understand about this. I've been a Christian a long time. He comes to Peter and reconciliation is made And there's that beautiful text in John 21. You know the story, right? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And what did Peter say the third time? You know I do. (laughs) I love this. I think I love this verse as much as any other verse in the Bible. Because on the day my wife can't tell I'm a Christian because of the way I'm behaving, Jesus knows I am, right? He knows I love Him. This is my great assurance. He knows I love him. On my worst day, he knows I love him. And Peter, you know, on Peter's worst day, he knew that God knew that Peter loved him. So, if you're a paddler or a dabbler or a splasher, God has a challenge for you tonight. Come out into the deep water Come live your faith. Do Daniel 11:32. Live Hebrews 11:6. Yes, it's about faith and trust and obedience. No question. It's about that. But principally it's about love. Do you love him? Are you oblivious to almost everything else? I love this God supremely. I will follow Him. I will honor Him. So when our Father calls us out into the deeps with Him, we answer and we go. Again, let me close with as Spurgeon said, be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps with God. When it gets hard, beloved, and it will get hard, if you're a true believer, it will get hard for you. Remember, Jesus is praying for you. Remember that greater is he who is in the world than he, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Remember, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. Remember to count it all joy when you encounter various trials and let it work its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, if you've just been playing with God on the beach or in the shallows, He's inviting you tonight to put down your nominalism, your nominal Christianity. And go out there with him. As I like to say, and I'm done. And I've, Renee's so kind to remind me. I said something a few weeks ago. You know, I lived half my life as an unbeliever. And she reminded me how old I was, so the math wasn't exactly right. But I lived half my life as an unbeliever. I wasn't converted until I was 28. So I know what it's like to chase the world. I know what it's like. I know that compared to God, it's dung. It's dung compared to God. I know this. So I'm just giving you a personal testimony here, right? You go chase the world if you want. That's your decision. That's between you and God. But it's dung, beloved, compared to Jesus Christ. What I want to say is, and I'm done, it's just fun to walk with God. God's... God is an awesome companion. (laughs) He does whatever He pleases. So if you're just dabbling and splashing and paddling, the challenge tonight is go swim in the deeps with God. Let's pray together. Lord, what a beautiful text. We're all Peter. Every one of us in this room have been Peter. We thought much too highly of ourselves. But You have lovingly humbled us. And we know we can do no good thing apart from You in us. Thank You for all of these great passages that assure us of Your presence and Your power when it gets hard. And Lord, we understand about faith and trust and obedience. But at the bottom of it all, at the root is the fact that we love You with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Lord, I pray that we would be about Your business in the world, that we would be Your people in the world, that we would be Your disciples in the world, that we would be giving a witness in the darkness, that many would come to the Son, that it may redound to His glory and to His people's joy. We rejoice and give thanks. We worship You, Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, the name before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We praise You, great God. We praise You, great God. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen.